Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today, seated at the Steinway Piano, Galt McDermott. Galt answers to either McDermott or McDermott, even though it is spelled M-A-C-D-E-R-M-O-T with one T. Galt, born in Canada, educated in South Africa, living in New York since the mid-1960s. Over the years, has written several well-regarded, well-known Broadway shows, Hair, Two Gentlemen of Verona, several others. Also has written many film scores, musicals, ballet scores, chamber music, religious works, poetry, drama accompaniments, even band repertory music. Galt uh, draws his styles from a lot of different uh, influences, gospel, reggae, folk, jazz, classical, rap. Our guest today, welcome Galt McDermott. Thank you. Thanks very much. Galt, it's really a, a milestone and a great return for you to have Two Gentlemen of Verona now back at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park under the aegis of the public theater. It's particularly remarkable because last night when I saw the show, I heard a story that the new artistic director, Oscar Eustace, told that, and perhaps it's apocryphal, but he described the inception of this project as having been Joe Papp asked Mel Shapiro to direct a production of Two Gentlemen of Verona, and you were asked to write some music for it. Supposedly, Mr. Papp went on vacation, and when he came back, there were 37 songs. Is that a true story? Well, I think there's truth to it, but I think it wasn't. I, first of all, I didn't know Joe went on on, on holiday. I, I used to see him around. But it started for me by him calling and asking if I would write Who is Sylvia, you know, the one song that Shakespeare wrote. And I did that and and took it to him and then uh, forgot about the, the whole thing. And then a month or so later, he asked me to meet John and, and Mel and talk about writing some more music to to help what what they called a, a play, one of play, uh, Shakespeare's weaker plays, which I, I didn't seem any weaker than than anything else to me. But... That was the idea, to write a couple of songs. And then John just started writing these lyrics, and they were very funny and very good, and I just wrote them. That, that was John Guare. The, John the Guare, yeah. yeah. And it, at the time, John Guare was really known as a playwright. Of course, at that time, he was a young, experimental playwright, mostly an off-Broadway figure, not known as a lyricist. Um, I didn't know anything about John Guare. I'd never heard of him. But I did go and see The House of Blue Leaves, which was... Which is on at that point. Which was at that point a new play. Yeah, and I and I thought it was very good, very funny. And um, I think John had written lyrics, but he was, you know, more known as a playwright. Yeah. So that's interesting. You and John Guare did not know each other. You'd never. Oh met no, him. no, I never met him or Mel. But Mel Shapiro, who directed it, brought the two of you into the project. Um, I think Joe brought us all into the oh, project. Oh, oh, oh. I think that Joe saw House of Blue Leaves and and thought maybe something could happen. Anyway, I don't know. I wasn't told. So three three strangers working together for, I presume, the first time for any of you working together. How does one become adapted to each other's styles, and how how, how did you work together, the three of you? Well, I work from lyrics. I, if I see a lyric, I either hear a tune or I don't. Uh-huh. And with John's stuff, I did right away. So I didn't even I didn't even think about it. He'd sent he'd give them to me these typewritten sheets of of words, and I'd. I get to work. Some of the lyrics may be loosely based on Shakespeare, but most of them having nothing to do with what Shakespeare actually wrote. Um, 
The idea, I was told, I don't know if this is really accurate, the idea was to make some of the scenes clearer to 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 an audience that doesn't particularly understand Shakespeare. Because this was going to go out on tour, uh, out on those little trucks. This was going to go out at the time the <laughs> the public uh, New York Shakespeare Festival had its free Shakespeare program, and they had a truck that would perform shows around in city parks. So this was originally going to be at the Delacorte, the big theater in Central Park, and then, and then it was going to go out into the boroughs. Yeah, that's, that was right. So uh, I don't know if that's true because I, I don't think the songs really replace any scenes. Uh, but I don't know the play that well. In fact, I don't think I ever read the play. You, you never read the play? Well, I must have, you know, just uh, as an obligation. But the only thing I saw in the play was Who is Sylvia? Now, when you were going to school, were you into Shakespeare, or did you not much care for Shakespeare? Um, when I went to school, I was made to read Shakespeare, and I used to like some of it. You know, we used to, have to watch Hamlet and Henry V, that kind of thing. But always the language bothered me. That's iambic pentameter C- gets a little on your nerves. I, I, I did a I did a musical version with Joe Papp of Charles and Cressida, using the actual Shakespeare. And it was fun to work at it and, and interesting, but after a while, you just can't take that five meters or five feet or whatever it is. <laughs> and was the idea at the time, certainly this show was in the wake of Hair, which we'll talk about a little later on, was this set out to be a rock version? Did you just compose? Because what struck me, again, just seeing the show recently, is the enormous variety of musical styles that you brought to bear on it. It wasn't that you seemed to be writing in a particular idiom. Well, you know, uh, I have to say that I don't know what I do, really. I I look at the lyric and hear a tune, and then I look at the performer and see what they're like. I mean, we had Raul, Julia, who's from the... uh, In in, in the original. Original, yeah. yeah. And then you you sort of make sort of a relationship between the melody... And the kind of performer. And we had um, you know, quite a lot of Latin people in the show and quite a lot of black people. And I uh, I studied music in Africa. My basis of uh, – the reason I love music is because of African music and uh, jazz. So <clears throat> I just did what I wanted to do. I mean, as, as, as they say, Joe was away. I think what's important to, to, to bring out at this point in 1968, I guess, was when you were writing the show, it was a very uh, – an era of great unrest. The, the country was at war with Vietnam. Here in New York City, there was a lot of ethnic tension, and there was fear that you know there'd be some outbreaks in different parts of the city of violence and all that. So intentionally, the cast was racially mixed: blacks, Hispanics, whites, even Asians. Uh, that was by, by that was very purposeful by intent. And your music, I gather, was influenced by the the, the casting itself, yeah. and then responding to who was in the show to write music suitable for those people. That's right. I mean, you know, Raul used to do a parody of a Calypso singer, and he was very funny doing it. So we wrote that uh, Calilily Lady. Mm-hmm. It's, just a, it's just a steal from Calypso, really. Well, I think the, the, the whole show has a very um, generally light feel. There are some more serious songs, of course, but a very bouncy score, and as you say, Calypso and jazz and, and Caribbean influences. I wouldn't say there's any jazz. There, there's a little bit of rhythm and blues. Uh-huh. And there's a little bit of shit, a little bit of Elizabethan. I mean, uh, what's the song? Thou has metamorphosed me. That's like an Elizabethan tune. John mentioned the show being of the times, and 
there's a remarkable moment in the show then as now uh, that I think an audience not knowing the show would think you wrote very recently, which is the song Bring All the Boys Back Home. <laughs> yeah. It was written during the Vietnam era, but it seems to resonate today in much the same way. Was there any rewriting of that? I gather that John came in and did a little tweaking of things in the show. Yeah, so did, he, did he not tell you what he did? No, we, we haven't had a chance to talk to him. Oh, oh well, there's, a, there's, a, there's not much rewriting. It, it pretty well fits. In fact, it fits better to Bush than it does to Nixon because, I mean, the thing when I came out of office, there was too much peace. That didn't really apply to Nixon. But, no, John changed. There was a line there, send that boy into the draft. And he changed it. He looks queer, so he won't. We won't let him volunteer, just because we don't have the draft anymore. But that's the only rewrite that I've noticed. John's done. And basically, the country was in a very unpopular war in Vietnam when he wrote it originally. You wrote the music, and now the war that's currently going on in, in, in the Middle East is becoming less popular by the day. So it's kind of a, a similar situation. It's it's very similar. I mean, it's it's it's, it's frighteningly similar. Although I wasn't that aware of the war at the time. I thought it was over, actually, but it wasn't. I, th I sort of thought the war was over. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, think, I think there was a song that John wrote originally about the war being over, but we, di we didn't use it. Yet that song, as we hear it currently, is kind of light and bouncy and just you know, kind of, kind of a, has, a, has a fun feeling to it, yet if you listen to the message, it's kind of serious. Well, yes, it's serious. But, I mean, just because there's energy doesn't mean it's not serious. For our audience who may not be familiar with it, maybe we could hear a couple bars. <laughs> Oh, you want me to sing it? Oh, no, no. Well, <laughs> only if you feel like it. I, I don't think I remember it. I mean, the words. I don't know. Well, as, as we listen, talk about the musical styles of the show, it was indeed very eclectic. You drew on a lot of influences. There's doo-wop. You've mentioned calypso, R&B. But also, ultimately, all of the styles that you incorporated and even music that harked back to the, to the Shakespearean era – Obviously, those styles terminate in 1972 when, when the show was written. Facing a major revival, was there a temptation on your part to update any of the songs? Uh, you, you seem to have a love, which I found surprising, of hip-hop music, which certainly is more of today. And was there a temptation to bring the show forward and deal with punk and new wave and hip-hop and, and rap? Well, no, I wasn't tempted to do that. I, I, what I was tempted to do last winter, I did a concert version of this, of some of the music. And what I tried to do there was to explore the music more, just as, just as music. But, it, but in terms of, of theater, theater, I think the arrangements and the style that we did back then is better. What do you mean by explore the music more? Well, there were some songs that I felt were deeper than we'd gone in the show. I mean, like a, ja a jazz performer, you know, takes a song and just does it differently. And I, that's what I did with some, with some of these songs. But that doesn't make it better for the theater. It just makes it fun to play. Hmm. Now, this was the 
basically the second major work that you did with the public theater, the hair being the first, this being the second, that you know, really caught on, became popular. Were there any influences from hair, things that you did for hair, that carried over to this? Or was this like a total, totally new? Uh, I think it was. I think it was totally new. I don't. I, I mean, I'm not really the person to say, but I didn't. I wasn't aware of being influenced by hair. I tell you, I'm influenced by the words, by John's words. His uh-huh. style of writing is completely different from Rado and Ragney. Uh-huh. And. Uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, influenced by hair at all. So he would, he would John Greer would would write lyrics and hand them to you. You would see them for the first time, and the song would just pop into your mind. That's right. Give, give give me an example. One of the songs that that really stood out. Oh, they all stood out. But like, no appetite. Love took it away to show me how starved I was. Love's revenge. Uh, he just says it, love, no appetite, boom, dee dee. I don't know how you write music, but that's that's how I write music. So basically, you would read the words aloud or to yourself? No, I read them. I read them to, to myself, and then at the time I'm reading them, I think of some. I, I hear a tune, or I don't, in which case I put it away and wait. And come back, wait, wake up the next morning. Yeah, fresher comes to you. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> on, a, on a fresh mind. Yeah. It it is a remarkable experience to to have the first major New York revival of this show be in the same place where it was oh, yeah. four years ago. What was it like going back into the Delacorte? How involved, indeed, were you in oh, back this then? Produ- no, in this production? No, 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 not this. I wasn't involved in this production. I mean, I I, I was at a couple of rehearsals and I had a little bit of the casting. I was there. But I don't think I had much influence. But I was really very happy with the with the casting. I love the people in the show, and and also I love what Kathleen's done. She's pretty well Kathleen kept the Marshall, old Marshall, sh- who directed and choreographed. Yeah, Kathleen Marshall, and who and, also had won a Tony for Wonderful Town, the revival of that for directing and choreographing. That. And also, she did an encore's version of Hair a few years ago, and mm-hmm. that was very nice. So well, she's she's done several um, Shakespearean works, Kiss Me, Kate being one of them, and at Encores, The Boys from Syracuse. So she's had That's some background in Shakespearean musicals, I guess. I guess say. so, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful young cast. Um, the fellow that plays uh, Proteus named... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Oscar Lewis, he has just graduated from Juilliard back in May, yeah. and here he is in basically the lead of the show. Well, it's a little like you know, thirty years ago, Raúl hadn't done anything. He was totally unknown, and and, yeah. and and Clifton Davis, all those people were not totally unknown. I mean, Mel knew them, Mel Shapiro knew them, but, but I mean, to, to, to the public, the, to public, the public wasn't sure. aware of them yet. Yeah. But they were good, yeah. and these kids are are very good. Well, so. as as Howard, I saw the show last night also, and uh, it just. It occurred to me, looking at the at the playbill, I didn't know most of the names. Some of them I knew, certainly uh, Rosario Dawson, who plays Julia, yeah. who's Proteus's would-be girlfriend. Uh, certain other people, you know, some names were familiar, but most of them not. But the cast was wonderful. It was very, very good, sharp uh, performances from them, beautiful voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have a great sound system there. Strange oh, yeah, enough. Yeah. In, in yeah. the Just so the audience understands, uh, the Delacorte Theater is in Central Park. It's a theater in the open air. And uh, when, when Howard and I saw the show last night, it was a perfect day in New York, probably about at showtime, probably about 70, 72 degrees, totally clear sky. And you sit in an amphitheater looking down at a stage with trees in the background, which are illuminated at night, and nothing else around. It's just, you know, pitch black at night, and this thing going on on the stage. It's just a wonderful um, out-of-the-theater experience of theater. 
as as it should be in New York. I, well, I I I I used to do. I did a few songs for other plays of Joe's, and I always like going up there. But the theater, the Delacorte Theater, now is pretty much developed. It's much bigger, I think. Uh-huh. And and it's a lovely theater. We should point out also the 50th anniversary of the public theater, Joe Papp's public theater, which was originally called uh, the Shakespeare uh, Theater. Now it's the, the New York Shakespeare the Festival. Yeah. And uh, now it's called the Public Theater, 50 years. And reviving this show from 1971, I guess, when you first did it, is a very nice tribute, I think. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you'd done a number of shows for Mr. Papp, and before we come to Hare, how did your relationship with Joe Papp develop? Because there were shows that you'd done there prior to Hare. Well, it developed while we were doing Hare. Joe kept dragging me over because he was doing Hamlet, and he wanted me to do some music for Hamlet. So I, I did some, some. There's quite a lot of songs in there and, and a little bit of background music. And then when Hare moved away and over to Broadway, Joe would call me for a different show. I think I did about four or five, you know, plays. Well, let's plays. talk about how Hare came about then, because that that certainly was was in musical theater where everybody first heard your name. Well, uh, my uh, my introduction to to it was that um, a guy called Nat Shapiro, who who was really a music publisher. Met those guys. They thought he was a producer. Ragney and Radon. Radon and Ragney, yeah. And uh, he said, well, where's the music to this? He, they showed him the script, and, and they said, well, we'll make that up as we go along. He said, no, you can't do that. You've got to have a score. And, and Jerry, meanwhile, gave the script to Joe Papp, and he said the same thing. Where's the, where's the score? If, if I like the score, I'll do it. And um, <clears throat> so then Nat, who, who was a friend of mine, because we were jazz fans. We used to talk about music. Uh, introduce me to them. And this was clearly uh, a hippie musical. Yeah. You know, it, it came out of that. You were not a hippie yourself. You were a jazz and and, and even ethnic-oriented musician. Right. So, so how did you uh, connect to the music and the style? Well, the uh, same way as I did with John. I just looked... I mean, the lyrics were very hip and very good. I thought they were terrific lyrics. So I just started writing it. And uh, then after about three weeks, we we went down and saw Joe, and I sang it to him. He said, yeah, I'll do it. And then he had a few second thoughts, and um, we took it around to Broadway, people like David Merrick and that, but they didn't want to do it. So then Jerry said, well, let's go back to Joe. And by that time, they'd learned the songs, and they were great performers. So they did it for Joe. This is Ragney and Ray. Ragney and Ray, and, and it was. It, it, and he said, "Oh yeah, we got to do this." So well, it, it was a very, very different show for its time, um, because it was a book musical without much of a book. The book was kind of sketchy. Well, they all say that, but you know, I don't know about that. There's a, there was a story. I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue, uh-huh. but there, there's a, there was a story. But basically, I think the feeling was that the music is what really made the show. Well, you can say that the, the lyrics in music made the show. The, the lyrics are very clever and very uh, original. If you, if you listen to them, they, they, what they say is, is wonderful. And the story is basically a kid who, you know, avoids or doesn't avoid going into, into the draft. Into the, now, many of our listeners are, are too young to have experienced that whole uh, era of the 60s, the hippie movement, the flower children and all that. Yeah. Uh, but basically it was a time of great uh, political unrest, a lot of uh, anti-war feelings, anti-war demonstrations. 
Um, and you were not one of those people. So how do you write songs like Aquarius and Let the Sun Shine In and songs like that that have become so identified with that whole era and that whole movement? I really don't know how you why those fitted, but it's the same thing. I, you write you write what you think should be there, <clears throat> and you hope for the best, and it usually works. And your style, whether on Verona or on Hair, certainly wasn't typical musical theater style. Were you particularly interested in musical theater per se? Had you grown up listening to cast albums, well, or was this really coming from a different direction? No, it came from a different. See, I told you, I, I, I learned, I studied music in in South Africa at Cape Town University, and I took a music degree down there. But I didn't really spend much time in the school. I was out listening to African music, and I wanted to write different a different kind of music. And so, and Radon Ragney wanted different kinds of music too. They said, "Well, we want rock and roll." Well, rock and roll is as close to African music as, as close enough for me. So well, I, I read an well, interview where you, you said you thought of it as funk as opposed to rock and roll. Well, I thought of it as what I like, which is a strong beat and a strong feeling. And uh, that, uh, that sort of heavy feel, yeah. Funk is another word. They're just words. You really can't, uh, you know, there's a lot of songs in hair that are not funky, um, like... Uh, Frank Mills. Frank, well, that Frank be? Mills, yeah. I mean, that could be Bach. But um, we, we we had a little rock and roll band, so it sounded like rock. We had two guitars and a bass and, and drums and a keyboard. Well, when where, did you were, know? You, were you listening to the music in those days, music of Bob Dylan, music of Joan Baez? I was listening to everything. I was knocked out. I'm from Canada. You know, I'm from Montreal. And, I, and after I finished music in South Africa, I went back to Montreal, and I was an organist, a church organist. My really educated, musical education was, theater, was, was opera, opera and that kind of stuff. You know, So when I came down here and listened to the radio every night, it, just, it was fantastic, the music that was going on. What, what, what kind of radio were you listening to? Well, Newark, New Jersey had a great program. They played new R&B things every night. That's R&B? Yeah. Uh-huh. R&B. And I was playing in the studio. I was doing rock and roll records, uh, demos for publishers. Uh-huh. And I, that's how I got to know all the musicians down here. How about the so-called protest music or the folk music that was uh, critical of, of what was going on? Well, the funny thing is I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have a TV. <laughs> I, I I didn't have a car radio. I, I was told there was a war going on. But, you know, in Canada, Canada wasn't at war with, with Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So I really, it took me a while to understand what was all going on. And I was only interested in music in those days. I wasn't interested in politics at all. So I had to sort of learn something. And I did. I learned from uh, Radio Interesting. Radio. A person not interested in politics who wrote what became a very politically uh, uh, cogent sort of a show. Yeah, but that wasn't my fault. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that wasn't my... Uh, although now I'm interested in, in politics. I, I take an interest. But at, at the time, I just wanted to get to do the music. Mm-hmm. Now, it's worth recalling for, for people who don't know the history of hair that it began at the public theater down on Lafayette Street. It ran there for eight weeks. Right. It did not go directly to Broadway. It went to a nightclub called Cheetah, Cheetah. for another couple of months. Which was really a disco. A disco. Yeah. And then it subsequently went to Broadway. In that process, first of all, when 
when did it was it immediately a phenomenon from the moment it was it was at uh, the public theater? Well, it was sort of a phenomenon. I mean, we opened. I remember we opened, and I was quite embarrassed. I snuck. I was playing the piano in the in the band. And we went through the first night, and I thought, oh, wow. You know how it is the first night, and, and very little response, and, and I just snuck out. Then the next night, it was better. And by the third night, it was a hit. This is on Broadway? or No, this, this is, is a joke. Still, still with the this public. Joke, but, and then it was fo- sold out from then on. What's also interesting in its history, and I want to ask you about, is that in the incarnations at the public and at Cheetah, the show was directed by Gerald Friedman. Right. When it went to Broadway, this show that was already an estimable hit and certainly had buzz going got a new director and a new production. What was behind the idea of ultimately reconceiving the show? Well, I think that um, Jim and Jerry originally wanted Tom Horgan to direct <clears throat> at Joe's, but he was doing another show, uh, Forgotten Something About a Pig. <clears throat> and he was away. He was in Europe. So, and also, Jim Joe wanted Gerald Friedman. That was his artistic director. So they went along with that. But then, when they started to talk about moving it, they said, "Well, we want the guy that we originally asked for." And so they got Tom. And did that change? Did did you write new material at that point? Was was the work changed to accommodate the interests of the new director? Well, I wouldn't say it was for his reasons. They wrote new, some new songs. I mean, they wrote new lyrics, and I wrote new music. I mean, actually, a lot of the better songs, like Let the Sunshine In, was written for Broadway. It wasn't downtown. There were quite a lot of songs that we did. So, and and we put in songs that Gerald hadn't wanted. It was more like a like an old-fashioned musical downtown, and Tom wanted to make a sort of a revolutionary musical. When you say old-fashioned musical, I mean... Well, like little scenes and then a song and then scenes and a song. Rather than just like flowing directly. It's more like here comes a song. Well, the way Tom does it, did it, <clears throat> it was mostly songs. Uh-huh. It just went from one thing to another. And then the scenes even were set, were staged very strangely. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw Tom's production. They were, they were, they were choreographed scenes, too. Now, what, what sort of songs were dropped from the show when it moved? Well, Broadway. there was one called the climax, uh-huh. which I can't play. I've forgotten it, but that was that was the ending of the of the show. There were a few little things dropped, but mostly it was additions. And which which notable songs were added? You said Aquarius, did you say? Or no, Aquarius we had down there, but uh, <clears throat> let the sunshine in was added, and and the whole opening, the, the thing of um, I'm a colored spade that was added, and uh, sodomy, all those. Opening songs. How about Good Morning Starshine? Was that no, that original? was in the original. In fact, original. that was why the show got on. RCA liked that song. Well, really? talk about that because <laughs> this was – people now bemoan the fact that you don't hear theater music on the radio anymore. But certainly people didn't think of hair as being theater music per se, yet there were a number of covers of, of, the, uh, of the material from hair. How did that get engineered? Did that just artists came and wanted to do it? And were you involved at all when those artists did those songs? Or or did they do a different gloss on them than you might have wanted to have heard on Top 40 Radio? Well, no, I wasn't involved with them. They 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 did it on their own. 
and um, some of them were good, some of them were lousy, but the good ones were, were, were hits. Well, there the were a that, lot of hits. Well, the one that became the hit, uh, Good Morning Starshine, done by a young fellow named Bill Swoford, went under the name of Oliver. That was yeah, his professional yeah. name. I, I, I knew him in graduate school. He, oh, was, a, he was a college yes. student at the time that he did the, uh, did the song. And here he was at Brooklyn College as a student having a big hit song, you know, Good Morning Starshine. Yeah, I remember him. Now, when you first heard his version of that, what did you think of it? Oh, I thought that was very nice. I mean, you know, I like them all, but I like what I did better. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, it's all in the feel. Well, okay, so give me an example of the feel of Good Morning Starshine, the way that you did and the way that well, well, did I, it. Well, now that, that is a very... It's, it's very Latin. Uh-huh. And his is not so Latin. That's all. How, how was his? More, more oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. But it was more more melodic, you know. Maybe that's what made it a hit. I don't uh-huh. know. But I I go for for a feel in music, and, and that's why you ask about hip hop. A lot of hip hop guys do my do take stuff off my records, just for that feel. They'll maybe use four bars and like, and then make a song out of it. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. That you know, you're influencing hip hop, which is quite a different form, I, I would think. Well, hip hop is very fond of the '70s. Yeah. <clears throat> that's their favorite period, and uh, that's when I did a lot of recording in the in the '70s. So, that, I mean, not a lot of records, but enough that I realize there's a connection. Now, a show like Hair, any big Broadway hit that catches on, ultimately spawns multiple companies and tours and international productions. How much did hair take up of your life at that point? Were you were you out there for every version, or did you, uh, did no, you no. let did, it go I, and be well off in the world on its own? Well, I did the Broadway version, <clears throat> and then I did L.A. and London, and then I stopped. You know, you, you can only do it so many times. Were, were those versions <clears throat> different from one another, or were they basically A little the same bit, show? but Tom directed them all. Were there any... Changes for the British version, London version, that need to be made because it was in England versus in this country? Not that I noticed. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. They just did it. So the music was essentially the same. The oh, lyrics yeah. were essentially the same. Yeah. But after, and after a success like that, it was certainly several years before you tackled Two Gentlemen of Verona. Was that simply because you were pursuing your other musical interests? I would think that with that kind of success, suddenly people like David Merrick would be calling and saying, well, what do you want to do for your next show? Well, you think so? I can't remember what the sequence. I did a, <clears throat> I worked with the guy Dumaresque that you were asking me about. I did a couple of shows with him in London. That's William Dumaresque, who you collaborated with uh, here in America. Most people would know from the Human Comedy, oh, which human we'll talk com- about in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I did a couple of shows in London, and then I did the Two Gentlemen, and then I did a couple of disastrous Broadway shows, Via Galactica, and Dude. Well, and so I said, that's enough Broadway. And then I went and worked with Derek Walcott down in the West Indies. I did a whole bunch of shows with him. Well, since you bring it up, I do want to ask about Via Galactica and Dude because they <laughs> they are they are sort of fabled shows that people have, have heard of. And if you look in some of the lobbies of – if you look in the lobby of the – the now the Gershwin Theater, I think you can even still find a poster That's where for, it was. for Via Galactica back when it was the Eurus Theater. Um, it certainly seemed an amazing undertaking to have two enormous new musicals which were going up within a couple of months of each other, yeah. one with one of your hair collaborators, 
what was what what was happening at that time for you and and to have two shows at once and and ultimately those two shows were not well received though I should say having just read through some of those old reviews even some of the most scathing reviews at the time <laughs> praised your music well there's some nice music in those shows i mean that's really my uh, that's my vice i like writing music and Der- uh, jerry was giving me all these lyrics and then uh chris gore brought up the uh the um, Via Galactica. Well, it was Jerry Ragney you were working with on Dude. On Dude, yeah. And, and Chris Gore, for, for, as you said, for So I wrote them at sort of at the same time, and then they both got done, which was, you know, a disaster. <laughs> and how do you look back on those shows? I mean, do you feel that do you feel that you succeeded in your work on those shows, or do you think that ultimately they they didn't find their way were they unfairly treated or <clears throat> well it depends what you mean by you know find their way i'm only interested in music frankly so if i can get a song to work that's that's my aim and i did a concert version of uh, via galactica down at um Cuba union a couple of years ago and i really liked it it was very nice i mean the story doesn't make any sense it's about colonizing space <laughs> but i didn't feel badly about the song i like the songs and and dude Dude was a similar thing. It didn't have a real story. It had some terrific songs. I have never done it in concert because I, I don't know how to get the performers. I mean, we had phenomenal performers, and it was very powerful stuff. But I, could, I guess you could say there was no intelligence behind the, <laughs> the story. It's worth noting that one of the collaborators on Via Galactica was the director, the esteemed now Sir Peter Hall. Oh yes, yes, yes. Which, well, I don't think he understood what we, what what that was about at all. I mean, he's very he's he's done a lot of fine work, but that was not one of his finer moments. <laughs> now, <clears throat> the probably the most recent uh, new production you had on Broadway is 1984, two decades ago. Uh, have you done any any theater work between then and now? Since 1984. Well, talking about the, well, the uh, human comedy. Yeah, let's talk about coming up to the human comedy yeah. and, and then post. There, there are a couple of other pieces that I see that you've written in the meantime. Let me, uh, let me see what I can dig out here. Um, or maybe they, they were... Uh, after. Yeah, there, no, there really was the break. They were all after. So. Well, the break, what happened in the break was I went down to and worked with Derek Walcott, you know, the poet... From Trinidad, we did we did a lot of shows, and we did them down there in Trinidad and uh, Jamaica and um, <clears throat> St. Thomas. We did about five shows, and I like Derek. He's a he's a, a very amusing guy, wonderful writer, and it was a relief. I didn't have to I didn't have to work on Broadway, and I didn't have to make a success. We did them, and it was, I didn't get paid for it, but it, it it seemed worth it. I learned a lot about music down there. The Trinidadian bands are fantastic. You, you say relief in, in, in what sense? Oh, it's, uh, the pressure is off. There's no pressure. Uh-huh. Well, we should say that in that period, that's when the film of Hair came into play. Oh, yes. Day. And how involved were you in the film? No, that I did. I, I orchestrated it, and I was there full time. And how do, you, how do you feel about that film? Well, the same way as I feel about everything. <laughs> I like the music. You're happy with the music, so <laughs> everything else. Uh, yeah. Everything else just follows. From I like I like Milos and I like the people in it, and, and it was fun to work with a huge orchestra and everything. So the human comedy, which is scaled very differently than the other works of yours that we've seen in New York, 
uh, it had a large cast, but but a much um, a much softer tone it seems than the others. That again began down at the public theater. Well, it didn't really begin there. Uh, what happened was I was. What's the word when they ask you to write something? I was commissioned? commissioned by Banff, you know, the school out in uh, Western Canada, to write an opera. So I said, okay, and then they said, well, choose your subject. And I, a friend of mine gave me that book, you know. Uh, the Human Comedy. The Human Bible Comedy, and I really liked it. So I got Bill uh, Dumeresk to to agree to doing it, and then we started, and we went, <laughs> went out to Banff and played them a few songs, and they said, no, we can't do this. It's not a Canadian story. So by that time, we had really got into it, and I said, well, I want to do it. I want to do it anyway, even if it's not a Canadian story. So I took it to Joe, and he said, sure, I'll do it. And um, that's how it, that's. A, but it was supposed to be an opera, uh, and and it's a little more operatic than anything else I've ever written. Well, it's completely through song. Yeah. So I'm not aware of any real book material in it. No, but the story, but it's based on the book. Right, but it follows it follows the details of the book, and it got lovely reviews off Broadway. Yeah. Uh, in particular, Frank Rich, right. uh, who was the critic at the Times, thought it was uh, thought a terrific piece of work. And it did transfer, but ultimately a very short run. It wasn't uh, – it really wasn't Broadway enough, I think. It was too uh, – maybe a little bit arty. I mean, I don't know what audiences thought of it. But uh, they, they liked it a lot downtown. I think it had to be in that intimate setting to work. And if one works hard enough, one can find the cast album of that. Yeah, we have a cast album. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And it was done live. I mean, we, we Joe did that. He he recorded the, the the whole thing live. In terms of theater now, over the past couple of decades, have you been doing any new projects? Um, I have, but it's very hard for me to think what they were. I did a version of Lysistrata up in Boston about four years ago. Up at the American Repertory Theater. Yeah. Was that a full-on full musical? No, it wasn't. It was just a play with some songs. And then later, M- Maddie Selman, who wrote it, and I developed it into a musical, and we're still working on that. But you did, in, in 1991, work on another piece with Ragni and Rado. Oh, Sun. Sun. Tell yeah, us about yeah. Sun. Well, Sun was an environmental musical by by Rado and Ragni. When you say environmental... Well, it was about the environment. Oh, literally. Oh, because you talk about environmental stagings sometimes. So uh, No, no. It, it, it was about global warming and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was that. That was the theme of it, and it really never went anywhere. We <clears throat> we played it to a few people, and they didn't they didn't take to it. But it has some very good songs. <laughs> we should point out also that you've done many film scores over the years, not just theater work, but film as well. Cotton comes to Harlem comes to mind. Uh, Fortune in Men's Eyes, yeah, films like that. Rhinoceros. I saw that on TV the other day. Did you see it? it? No, I didn't. <coughs> it's been running on <coughs> Trio. I know. Huh? I've seen it running on Trio. That's recently, right. So I you think can that's find true. It. How is working for film any any similarities between film and theater and the other works that you've been doing? Well, personally, I prefer um, I prefer theater because <clears throat> you have live you know live performances. In terms of performances, yeah. But in terms of your work, I liked what I did. I liked the ones I did. I liked Cotton Comes to Harlem. That was a, that was fun to do. Uh, we had some good singers and good bands. Something else you've been very involved with since uh, about 1979 is your own band, the New Pulse Jazz Band. Right. Well, what, what is that all about? Well, that's just a band. 
I, I write stuff for it. We do a concert at, at uh, the Wild Hall. Every, Carnegie Hall. At Carnegie Hall, yeah, every year. And that's just something I like to do. What, what, what new projects are you working on currently? Right now I'm writing a musical based on the Tinderbox. You know that Hans Christian Andersen fairy oh, wow, tale, wow, the okay. Tinderbox? Quite nice, with, with Maddie Selman. And that's for theater? That's or? for theater. Hmm. Maybe children's theater, maybe not even children's. As we're in the midst of the revival of Two Gentlemen of Verona, it's only fair to ask about requests, attempts to revive hair. Uh, there was the Encores production a few years ago, and at that time it started. It seemed to start a buzz about hair being done in full production again. There was a very well-received concert version, which was recently recorded with multiple performers doing the various songs. Is has there been recent interest in getting hair back on stage, and and can we look forward to that? Well, when you say on stage, you mean New York. In, in terms of in terms of a major production, either either New York or, or a first class touring. Production. There is there is a guy, the, the, Tom Bertel, the produ- the guy who produced the producers is is interested in doing it. He's going to start up in Toronto, and tour it, and then bring it in. But meanwhile, there's one in new, a new one in London starting up next month, and it's never stopped in Europe. It's been running, whatever it is, 50 years, 40 years. But in terms of a full professional production, we, we haven't seen one here in the city for no, quite not, a while. No, not here, except uh, Kathleen's version of Encores, which was really lovely. I think what's really lovely is that for the 50th anniversary of the public theater, they have chosen your show, Two Gentlemen of Verona, to perform at the Delacour Theater here in New York. It's lovely. Sure. For a limited summer run. <laughs> well, you couldn't ask for a better place to be than and the Central at least, Park. At least when we saw it the other night, perfect weather. <laughs> a great New York evening. Galt McDermott, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you. Thanks, Galt. Okay. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media programs of the American Theatre Wing are available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM28 on Broadway, I'm John Von Susten. For Downstage Center, that's a wrap and thank you.